Pat's Interference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Okay, less than a week away from the draft, it is time to buckle down with our boards, our picks, our lists, our broad jumps, everything that is going on. I said in this podcast last week, the teams are, they're not quite bored, but they're doing the, okay, if plan A doesn't work, what's our plan B, C, D, all the way down to Z. Their boards are set, they're done. Ours are not as we continue to prep and guess and project the potential Patriots in this draft. And frankly, when I surveyed the beat, and there's a lot of hardworking, good people here, and people who have paid attention to Bill Belichick press conferences will get a laugh out of this. There is no one that works harder come draft time than Alex Barth, a 98.5 The Sports Hub. You can follow him at Real Alex Barth. You can hear him, of course, in 98.5 The Sports Hub this week uh, with Felger and Maz on Sundays with him and Ted Johnson and read him at 98.5 thesportshubcom But Alex, when I tell you that, it sounds almost like a backhanded compliment because we like to make fun of Bill press conferences. We got to find some joy in just to kind of, okay, we all know what it is. Uh, do you take it as a compliment? Do you not? Well, how does that feel? I, I do. I will say my read on the Bill Belichick, whoever hardest working, the hardest working player in the any in the NFL at any given time is the last player that Bill Belichick mentioned publicly. Hmm. That's pretty, that. That's how yeah. I always do it. Right. Um, of course, I, I I do take it as a compliment. Um, it's it's really cool to to kind of be a, a, a not to toot my own horn, but I know I'm somebody people come to for draft coverage and and I appreciate everybody that turns to me this time of year. So hopefully uh, everybody's having fun with it and uh, I won't let you down. I can't make the same promise for the Patriots, but hopefully I haven't let you down through this process here. We're still got like two weeks to go. Yeah. I had Fitzy on a couple of weeks ago and I think he said it best that the first rule of Patriots draft club is don't fall in love with your mocks. And we've all done them. We've done so many, we lock in on guys and we just stare and watch the tape and look at the numbers and go, Oh my God, he's going to wear 51 in week two. He's going to get a sack against the jets. And then Isaiah Foskey is uh, or Foskey is is playing instead in Arizona. So, you know, right. spoiler alert for one of my potential Patriots. But what we're doing today is partly the projection for people and prospects that we think the Patriots will like, but also just to get some draft crushes off of our chest. Guys that we would yeah. drop a note in their locker. It says secret admirer. We'd love to see them play football closer to us and just watch it because throughout this process, which has really started, and honestly, for you and I as fans of college football, you know, dating back to last fall, maybe last year watching these guys play. And certainly in January when, you know, the draft process hypes up um, that you just watch a game or two and you go, okay, I'm done. And if you come back, it's just, it's just for fun. So we're going to go down day three, day two, day one draft crushes that we like and also make our picks. Um, but to start again, because of how thorough and detailed you are, which isn't to say you're not thorough and detailed year round. What is the most useless fact, Alex, that you know about a prospect that really no one on planet Earth should know about a prospect, but you've come across because you just keep looking and reading and studying and watching. So last year we had Jared Bernhardt. Do you remember this kid, the quarterback mm -hmm. from Ferris state who was a uh, tiered on winner. That's the lacrosse Heisman. And his dad coached for Bill O'Brien in Houston at Penn state. Yeah. It was like, he was less an actual person and more of a Patriots fans draft fever <laughs> dream. I haven't been able to top that level of nonsense, unfortunately, this year. I've been trying. I think it's more little things. Like, I was on with Ted a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about some prospects and some of the Ohio State guys. And Ted started to ask me, because everybody thinks they have the gotcha when you talk about Ohio State. Well, when's the last time they drafted Ohio State guy? Before he could get the question out, because I have to sound like a smartass, uh, I said, Nate Ebner, sixth round, 2012. <laughs> and I could tell you the last guy they took 
from Penn State. The only guy they've taken from Penn State under Bill Belichick is is Rich Ornberger uh, in 2009. I know you're a Penn State guy. I'm sure you had that one. Uh, I've actually found myself liking a lot of the Pitt guys in this class, and there's one specific mm. we're going to get to in a bit. But do you know who the last player is from Pittsburgh the Patriots drafted? Wow. Um, I'll give you a hint. Wasn't Bill Belichick? It's never yeah. taken a Panther. No one's jumped out immediately. I mean, you have a lot of Pittsburgh natives. Like you could go to the greater area and Aliquippa is just a factory, yeah. you know, a, a little suburb outside of Pittsburgh, Curtis Martin, Ty Law. So that has more of my attention. Um, but before I stammer anymore, is it, it's late nineties though with Pete, wasn't it? It's late nineties. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's Pete. Is it Pete? No, actually it's not. No. Okay. Last two years of Parcel. Who was it? Curtis Martin. Oh, shit. It's the last <laughs> one. <People> mentioning <laughs> Curtis Martin and just skipped over his college to go straight to his hometown. All yeah. right. Very good. So, um, well, but I, it's I, stuff like that just rattles around the brain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I have one and it's specific to a player. He's a projected day three pick, uh, Keetrell Clark out of Louisville, who transferred from Liberty after being committed somewhere else. But anyway, after his freshman year, Keetrell Clark has just had enough of Liberty. And not only does he just transfer, he transfers and basically broadcasts his interview. Like this guy is putting it on YouTube. It's really a statement, but he said, quote, the reason he left was because of cultural incompetence, Alex, within multiple levels of leadership. He is the Joker gif of just watching the hospital explode behind him and kind of waddling along the road as Liberty sets on fire behind him. And then of course, lost Hugh Freeze to Auburn and everything. But just imagine leaving anywhere and going the cultural incompetence within multiple levels of leadership. That's not one coach. That's not one person. That's not one group. That's everybody like F off. I am out of here. That's and I'm sure that's something he got asked about in draft meetings, too. I actually really yeah. like him. I, I thought he was great at the Shrine Bowl, but I love him now reading yeah. that last night. <laughs> but I would even say this, like he plays that way. Like he's yeah. just out there with a big fu chip on his shoulder. I could totally see that. Hopefully, yeah. I have the Patriots draft him, and we should ask him about that. Yeah. Now he's he's a guy that again, day three pick. You know, unless there's uh, he screams Patriot right off of you know the the measurables, or you read certain scouting reports. Like I'm watching maybe one one and a half games on a guy like that, and he's he's in the back of my mind. But I'm leaning heavily on guys like Dan Brugler and the NFL.com folks, and all of the good people, including yourself, who do work on the draft because there are so many prospects and they have so much time. And this year, honestly, more in particular, when I look at guys like that, there are two things that are clouding my judgment in terms of predicting what the Patriots will do. Now, I have strong takes about the draft, but one of which is that last year, when you look at that class, they deviated so much from the historical prototypes that it makes it feel like guessing or projecting or mocking this year. It's just it's just futile. It's a, it's a useless exercise. The second thing is knowing that talking to people within the team, they're much higher on themselves than we are on the outside. And this isn't to say that we're right or that they're wrong. It's just to say that, okay, if they don't see receiver as a need, if they don't see offense tackle is that bad? Cause Riley Reef supposedly is just going to start. You got the money to start. Where do I do? Where do I go with that? So it doesn't make me take this any less seriously, but does any of that resonate with you and that this year is different because of last year and the off season that we've had since? Yeah. So I, I always say, I'm not here to tell people what I would do. I'm here to tell people what I think the Patriots will do because nobody cares what I would do. I'm not sitting yeah. there in a room making the calls as much as I want to be. And so a lot of my draft prep, when it comes to the Patriots specifically, a lot of what I focus on is literally just how many permutations of trends can I find? Big school, small school, conferences, player size, player age, uh, you know, combine testing, this and that. And 
they went in last year and threw they lit every trend <laughs> on fire. They lit every trend they have on fire with some of those picks last year. So this year, the whole guessing game to me, I feel like every time, whether it's prospects, whether it's positions, whether it's draft range, whatever, I keep coming back to the question, was last year an anomaly or was last year the new normal? Because it was the first year we saw Matt grow as the director of player personnel. Now, he had a very heavy draft role the year before as well, which was you couldn't have two more polar opposite drafts. And, and Matt Grow kind of talked about that this week when he said, we're just trying to add good players. There is no trends, which is kind of a line, but whatever. Yes, it is. So that's kind of what you have to ask yourself at this point. Now, I and, and as dumb as this sounds, I think the answer is a little bit in the middle. I think some of what they did last year is probably Matt Grow's beliefs becoming more ingrained in their draft process. And I think some of it was, it's just how the chips lied. Like for instance, they attacked combine testing heavily last year. They got the fastest running back in the 40 in Pierre Strong, the fastest wide receiver in the 40 in Tyquan Thornton. And Marcus Jones didn't test at the combine, but if he wasn't the fastest corner, he was going to be top five. Uh, his his pro day time, I believe, was like third or fourth, would have been third or fourth at the combine. I pushed all of last year's information out now to get this year's in. But so I, that to me is real. The targeting the combine testing is real. I think that's a Matt Grow thing because he's talked about it. He said on Tuesday, can't get fast enough. Now everybody points at the small school thing. They actually draft from small schools at a lower rate than the league average. And people are going to hear that and roll their eyes. I know what I saw. Uh, in 2020, they drafted heavily from small schools, but that was the COVID year. Everything from that year is an anomaly. And then last year they did, but again, they were targeting a certain kind of player. And I think that's just where that player was. They also this is a little bit longer of a trend. They have had the oldest draft classes in the league since 2017. The average age of their draft class is the oldest. You generally find those guys at smaller schools until now with the NIL thing and transferring is easier. So, and it, and it fits within their long held belief of having an older roster like that. holds right. up. They find, you know, value in that in terms of guys who are older, they're more mature, they're smarter. We can find an edge where they're not only just versatile physically, but mentally they can handle a little extra on their plate just because they've been playing longer. They're older players. Right. And they're ready. They don't want to wait for guys to develop. They want yeah. guys to be ready to go. So that would like, the, the small school thing, I think, is just circumstance. I, I don't think that's correlation mm -hmm. and causation. The combine testing, I think, is very real. And in the past, they didn't target that as much. They didn't take bad combine guys, but they wouldn't aggressively target those great testers, what I call the Al Davis strategy. Mm -hmm. Last year, it felt like they did it. And based on some of the comments that have come out, like um, I did a thread yesterday of just here's the top five 40 testers at each position because it feels like they're looking at things like that. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because you, when you hear them speak about topics and you know, you're asking something where, you know, generally you're not going to get an answer. You'll get one of two things. One of which is every year is different. Every season is different. Every player is different, blah, blah, blah. Just inherent, you know, inanities, just obvious points that you go on to deflect and move on. We heard this from Bill O'Brien, you know, Oh, it's a great thing about the NFL. Every year is different. That's, that's true of any business. Okay. It's true of any relationship, any aspect of life. But you look at last year specifically, we knew from macro after I think it was day two, he said, we came in, we wanted to get faster, we wanted to get tougher. Now this season, he said, you can't get fast enough. But it's clear when you look at the 40 times for tight ends and corners, like they don't care as much about straight line speed there as they do some other measurements, three cone or short shuttle, whatever it might be. So when you go in with a focus last year, it did seem to be different, the approach that they were taking. And I don't know how much 
of that is, you know, Matt Grell versus the influence that Dave Ziegler had when Robert Kraft makes the first mention of our drafts haven't been good. That's why we've been suffering. And they did change some of their models, their processes. I can tell you that. But the second thing is they just say, in addition to every year being different, we have to react to what we're given in the season. It's the opponent during free agency. It's, you know, the level of interest from other teams and the contracts that other players are offered into the draft. It's how the board falls. So last year, I don't think they would have taken Cole Strange and many different permutations and universes in which they did at 29, but that's the way the board fell. So they have to react to that. And that's true. I just think, as you were kind of mentioning there, we have to separate the signal from the noise. The school stuff, I think, is noise. The, the combine stuff clearly last year was a signal of how we, we get faster. This is what matters to them. And in looking at what matters to them, you know, sometimes we have to figure out what matters to us because listening to them, you can figure out that a lot of teams don't care about the 40 yard dash time. It's the 10 yard split, whatever it is. And so there's a balance though, to be struck, right? Like we get so serious and detailed about this and you do, as I mentioned off the top, and then you go on Felger and Maz and they're throwing a small football at a magazine to determine what picks they want to make. And then you come in with the analysis. So do you find a balance or has your outlook on the draft changed from here's all the information, the forties, the background of this, the that to we can have some more fun on this, like this podcast and just say, I freaking love this guy. And here's why. So I, the dirty secret to my draft coverage and doing all these different mock drafts and lists and this and that is at the end of the day, it's just acquiring knowledge and everything I do is just one way or another building up that knowledge base of prospects. Right. And honestly, I get, you know, a lot of heat sometimes for taking part in the Felger and Maz big board from the draft people. They say, you know, they're mocking what you do and how can you put up with this? I actually love it because people tell me all the time or people ask me a lot, you know, how I want to get into the draft, but I don't know where to start. I want to watch college football. I don't know where to start. That's as good a way as any. I always tell people, just just start. Pick you, whether it's a position, whether it's a school, whether you just go off names you like or literally throw darts at a board. <laughs> just start just start learning players. And, you know, you'll learn a couple guys and, and maybe you're watching a guy and you see somebody on the other side of the ball from him. Oh, well, that guy's interesting. I'm going to go, you know, watch him now. And you just build and build and build as you go on. The exercise is just knowing players because the reality is if you're a fan of the NFL – even if the Patriots don't draft these guys one, you get to look at it in the scope of not just who they took, but who they didn't take. Like that was the thing about the Tyquan Thornton pick last year. It's not so much that I was, that, that I thought Tyquan Thornton in his own right was a bad pick, but looking who else is on the board, they made a good pick, but they've made a better one. If you're just focusing on the guys, the Patriots take, you lose that element of it, which is really what the draft is. It's choices. It's a or B. Um, obviously you can evaluate the players in their own right, but I think that's an important element of it too. And most of these guys are going to be around the NFL. They're going to be here. Right. I, and you never know when they'll come up again. Uh, Quandre Mosley, the Patriots mm -hmm. signed him late in the year to the practice squad. Right. I actually really liked him for them late in the draft last year. I think combo, uh, you know, combo defensive back, big guy, good athlete, a ton of experience on special teams at Kentucky team captain. I was like, I could see him. I thought he was going to be Brendan Schooler. I thought they were going to sign him and use him in the way they use Brendan Schooler. Ultimately, they went with Schooler, but whatever it was, October, November, boom, here comes Quandre Mosley, and he's still on the team. And that's a guy that, you know, a lot of people are like, who? And they don't know, and they run past that. Oh, no, I remember him. I just spent a lot of time looking at him in the fall, in the spring. So I, it's not like the draft happens and you just forget 99% of the players. Like, they're still here. They're still in the league. You still see them around. So I just... 
again, to me, it's just how many players can you learn? How many, how many guys can you get familiar with? And even if it doesn't relate directly to the Patriots draft, that information usually ends up coming back one way or the other later on. Yeah, I hear you. And part of this, where I come from is not that it's like you're saying there's value in knowing more players, as many as you can. It's just, you, you can acquire that knowledge and not take it so seriously the whole oh, time. Yeah. Like, there's fun allowed in this. And I, I think we've gotten to the point where there are so many quote unquote draft nicks and, and people doing research that, you know, we're mocking the mocks. Like that's something that shouldn't be enjoyable because this is part education and entertainment. And I think that's where, you know, Felger calling a lot of this nonsense. And there's truth to like the, the verbiage and the nomenclature of scouting is sometimes it's just yeah. stupid. Like, so. Um, I, I think that's a really good point. And this is another thing I love about the Felker Mass Big Board. I think, and I'm not going to call anybody out, but I, and it's like, this is more of a national thing. I think there are people who just want to sound as smart as possible yeah. when they do the draft. And right. some of this stuff, it does sound ridiculous and it does sound a little rated R at times, especially when you start talking about the hands and the hips. What, and, was, it the, what was it the other day? Like he, uh, some prospect that you were reading off of the, the scouting report is there's a lot of pitter patter with his hands or something like patter with his hands. He doesn't punch It's pitter patter. There was one about, (laughs) um, what was it? His, his hands get flustered below his waist or something like that. And I don't know what that, like half the time they look at me, like, can you translate that? I don't know what that means. So if I don't know what it means, the whole point of this to me is in my perfect world, everybody would be as informed about the draft as I am. And I know people don't have the time to do that. So that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Like I'm trying to let you in to how my brain works on the draft. And if my descriptions of players are so convoluted and worded so vaguely that people don't know what any of it means, well, who am I helping? I'm just, you know, I'm just putting out big words to to put out big words. So I almost, with the Felgren Maz stuff and some of the other stuff I do, I almost feel like me and you and, and people who kind of really cover the draft for the fans, we're just translators. Like, I think that's a big part of what we do. I'm taking the in-depth football, you know, hands, hips, feet. What does it all mean? Talk and saying, oh, yeah, he's good against the run. Oh, he's a good run blocker. Oh, he runs yeah. good routes like this and that. And does it sound a little repetitive at times? Maybe. But if it's repetitive, but people understand it, I would much rather – you know, it, it should be that versus, oh, well, you're not mentioning, you know, his hand technique in this one specific. Nobody cares about that. They want to know how the guy's going to help their team. They don't care about his hips. Yeah. And if, if we're doing that for so long, which, again, th- teams are ready, they could draft tomorrow. Wouldn't be a problem. Right. You know, they will tell you Nick Casario's on the record. Belichick's on the record. This is more or less a crapshoot. You acquire all this yeah. information. And my standpoint has grown to the point where if we're going to do this, let's have some fun along the way. Again, yeah. it's it's not bad to be invested or educated or anything. That's not where I'm coming from. But I think as someone like you or I have kind of come up and grind and do it the film way in the background of the scouting and learn and learn and learn, you'll burn yourself out doing that, realizing that it's going to be wrong more often than not. So where's the value in this and delivering the podcast or the show or the article? Like there's got to be a sprinkle of fun in there because the the teams don't know. The players don't know. The fit is TBD. So let's have some fun. I think so much of it too is like, it's a nature versus nurture thing. Is this player going to be good? I don't know who's drafting them, yeah. right? There's that element of it. I, I honestly compare it to doing a March Madness bracket. And I think there'll be a perfect March Madness bracket before there's a perfect mock draft. I, I really believe that. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where like, 
you're going to get a, 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 what is it, 13 over four, right? You're going to get a 13 over four correct in the first round. Some school from some nothing conference out in the desert beats a power five, and you're going to talk about it for weeks. Meanwhile, you, all your final four teams got knocked out in the first round, but you got the 13 over four right, and that's what you're hanging your hat on. Uh, that's kind of what it is. Like I, I had Andrew Stuber last year. I said Andrew Stuber mm-hmm. is such a Patriots pick. I didn't get Cole Strange right. It wasn't even close. But I, I nailed Andrew Stuber. And I nailed Pierre Strong, and I'll take those and call it a win. All right. Well, at least you didn't have Cole Strange as a likely day two pick for the Patriots in print in the Boston Herald on Friday after the first round when he had already been drafted because we have to file these pieces uh, before the draft is completed because that would be me who had that. I had him as an early day three pick in the Felger and Maz recap video that they posted after he was drafted. So I know how you feel. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, let's get to our day three crush. Uh, you a Red Sox guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, the games are, are uh, shorter, makes it a little bit more fun. Um, that's an area where if I were a gambling guy, kind of hit or miss, play more pokers, more myself. I'm going to throw my money into something. Um, kind of spruce up like bottom of the fourth when, you know, it's a slog. I think I think it's a little fun jumping on FanDuel. Yeah, the, the baseball ones I like, it's it's like real simple. It's like, will there be a strikeout this inning? Will there be a run this yeah. inning? You just put it in before the inning because then you're not committed to the whole game and the innings are short. So it's all right. I got 15 minutes. I'll watch this inning. Yeah. All right. That was a long intro. Let's get to some names. Day three crushers, players that, again, you are slipping a note into the locker. It's got a little heart. It says AB, and you just want to let these guys know that you love their games, uh, whether or not they're even future Patriots to you. Yeah, so uh, a guy I've loved really since the beginning is, and there's going to be a lot of Shrine Bowl guys here, there's a theme, mm-hmm. is Bryce Ford Wheaton from West Virginia. I since And, and I know he had the, the, the drop that led to the game-winning interception in the backyard brawl, but before that, he was outstanding. 6'4", 221, ran a 3'4", 40, sub-7, 3 cone. His football skills are very raw, and that's why he's going on, on day three. But if you look at you know, uh, the, the, the use mock draftable.com, like the spider charts, right. Where it'll give you basically a physically athletic comparison for a player. It takes all his data points and finds players with the most common data points. His closest physical comp, their data, I think goes back to 2003 is Calvin Johnson. Now he's not play. He he does not have that talent level. He doesn't, but physically that's who he is. And I, I think, especially when you get to day three, and we talked before about how the Patriots love the combine testing, if a guy's that big, that fast, that agile, just bring him in and see what happens, right? Because he has everything he can't coach. And I honestly feel similar about him as I did about a guy last year in Tariq Woolen, where it was just, if he's this physically gifted, he, he's not going to be nothing. I don't know what he's going to be. He might not be a star, but he's not going to be nothing. And obviously Tariq Woolen turned out to be a star, but I love that about Ford Wheaton. He also is great on special teams. He's a great gunner. There were two plays he made last year where we, we saw it, this this play start to become more and more popular in the NFL. When you're covering a punt, instead of going for the returner, the guy who's blocking you, right? You take him and you push him back into the returner. When the ball comes down, you force the muff. He did that twice last year. And I know, I, I know that's something the Patriots coach. I know that's something they want to be a part of their punt coverage. So Bryce Ford, we are, I don't know. Do you want me to just go or is no, let's do Let's move on to another one. I, I like okay. um, Ford Wheaton, as you mentioned, receiver from West Virginia. I think there's something to be said for you get in day three and I don't know where right. he was in high school, but there are some players that I've noted and the Patriots have done this. Byron Cowart was a good example. Yeah. 
Chase it's either Jackson, a trade. I think I know where you're going. Yeah, it's either a raw traits pick for the things that you just said, or they'll go into the high school rankings of old five-star recruits who clearly had those traits or showed some sort of football skill that couldn't be taught and just like plateaued in college. And the Patriots go, maybe that was a coaching issue. Maybe it was fit. Maybe it was immaturity. But we'll take those guys on day three, understanding there's potential there to be tapped and not really any you know, players that don't have holes in their game at that point. So your standards lower, you look at where can we squeeze guys who could surprise and gamble on some, you know, there, there's no risk at that point. So where are we going to get the highest reward? And he fits that kind of bill. Um, give me another one. So actually a, a guy who exactly fits that bill and they worked at the Shrine Bowls, Robert Beal from Georgia. Mm. He was the, I think, third or fourth highest ranked recruit in his, in his class uh, coming out as a defensive end and just never caught on in that, you know, never got a regular role in that Georgia uh, pass rush rotation. He had moments where really flash, but he couldn't. It, it was stacked. Time. Yeah, right, how many first rounders in that front seven? Yeah. Right. Um, okay. So he couldn't beat out Jalen Carter. He couldn't beat out Trayvon Walker. That doesn't mean he's terrible. So there's very little tape on him and he's had some injury concerns, but that's another guy I think that fits the exact mold you're talking about. Another one on the offensive side of the ball is Rakim Jarrett from Maryland. Mm who's a receiver. And if you go back and, and look at his receiver class, Kayshawn Boutte, who is fallen off big time in this yes. class is the only guy ranked ahead of him. He was ranked ahead of JSN. He was ranked ahead of Quint Johnston. Uh, I don't believe Zay Flowers was in that recruiting class. I think he's a year older, but he's a, he's ahead of all the top Marvin Mims. He's ahead of all the top receivers in this class. And then he went to Maryland and Maryland's Maryland. They're just kind of dysfunctional offensively um, to his brother kind of had trouble staying on the field, but that's another guy. I think they have some uh, untapped potential with. Now, I'll give you one more guy or sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say Jarrett was on my recent list of, you know, I think we, we published 10 potential Patriots or receiver and he's a, a trades pick. Um, you kind of buy the dip on him where it wasn't only yeah. just, he went to Maryland and didn't maximize that potential. Like his last season, I don't think he top 500 yards. You go to 2021, he was in the mid eight hundreds. And this is a Maryland team that's facing in the division, Michigan, Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan state. Like they don't get a break. They're in very fertile recruiting grounds, but even when they land a player like him, or you want to go back to Stefan Diggs, who became a fifth round pick. Like there are guys and, and Jared not going to become Stefan Diggs, but could be a fifth round pick that just, they don't develop there as well as you would think, even now with an offensive minded head coach, Mike Loxley. I like that name a lot for, for folks who are listening and, and want a receiver and, my money will spoiler alert. I don't think it's going to have for the Patriots in the first three rounds. Jarrett could be a big fit. I'm with you on that with the receiver and Maryland's like a sneaky kind of budding wide receiver factory. DJ Moore too, a yeah. couple of years ago. So they put some guys out. One other guy I really like for the Patriots late. I, I'm just a fan of his game in general, but I, I cannot for the life of me, other than the fact he's a Pittsburgh guy. And as we talked about, Bill apparently just hates the university of Pittsburgh, he's a <laughs> West Virginia guy. Um, I cannot understand why nobody has mentioned this player for the Patriots. And that is Servassier Dennis. Uh, mm. he, he's a linebacker, but he's not. He'll play hand down pass rusher, stand up pass rusher, off ball linebacker. They used him as a deep safety at times. They used him in the slot at times, cover tight ends, some bigger uh, slot receivers, plays a ton on special teams. He had a great combine tested very well. Athletically. He's not super undersized six, one, two and he had the highest, um, what is it, the S2, the test that replaced the Wonderlick. He had the highest S2 of any linebacker in this class. So he's smart. He's athletic. He plays all over the field. He was a team captain. Oh, and by the way, he was a high school lacrosse player. And he was a regular at the <laughs> women's lacrosse games when he was on campus there. So 
don't know. You tell me, what am I missing? Why is nobody talking about this guy for the Patriots? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And I have a close friend who who covered Pitt around that time and knows him yeah. and speak very highly of him and did a, a, a couple of different stories in Sprassi. And I think the other part about this too is the Patriots worked with a lot of undersized linebackers at the Shrine Bowl. And I know came away impressed with some of them. And the, the name that's been thrown around most is Isaiah Moore, who is rocked up as all hell. Like I don't want to see Isaiah Moore in an alley and have any reason for him to be mad at me because that will be the end of me. Uh, a very, very nice guy, three-time captain. I think he is Isaiah Moore. But He's 235 pounds. And you look at the history of the Patriots, a linebacker, Matt Groh spoke to this last year. It's just, you know, the 250 pounders don't exist anymore outside of, you know, Jack Campbell out of Iowa this year. So they're willing to draft players like that. Even Atlanta Roberts, 2016, uh, six round pick at a Houston was about 230. But how hard do they hit? How quickly do they process? And then as two tests that you mentioned, it's not just a replacement for the Wonderlick. It's, it's, measuring how quickly do you process. And so it's going to be very important for quarterbacks. I think players at the second level defensively run or pass, you got to know right away. So I like him a lot. And it's one of those, there might be a team because it only takes one that jumps on him in the early fourth round and the Patriots be like, well, nothing we can do, but I I agree with you. A couple names for me, and I won't spend a ton of time on these because I've spoken about at least one of them before. And they've been in my mock drafts, Makai Blackman, cornerback at a USC, 5'11", 180, 185, kind of depending on the day. Played a lot of man coverage there. Played outside and in the slot. I know the Patriots have a good deal of interest in him. Met multiple times. Uh, Antonio Maffi, UCLA offensive lineman, another Shrine Bowl guy. Played across the line. I think something like 54 career starts. Not to mention played for Chip Kelly. Noted Bill Belichick confidant. And Adrian Clem, I would imagine, coming from Oregon, recruiting the Pac-12 even before he went to Oregon and before that was with the Steelers we'll have some sort of connection or understanding about his game. We're getting in the sixth round is where the Patriots used to make their money developing these guys with, with scar. He's long gone, but I think you could get back to that and find some value here as at least a multi-positional guy to give you some depth as maybe your eighth, ninth offensive lineman on the roster. So there's two, I, I like Mafia, both of the UCLA guys, they have John Gaines as well, mm-hmm. who I think has some four position versatility. I think he can play everywhere, but center. Uh, and and like you said, with the Adrian Clem connection, I think that extends beyond Oregon. I think that that's all of the Pac-12. So yeah, everybody's talking about like Alex Forsyth, right, and TJ Bass as the Oregon guys. I don't know. I both UCLA guys were at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, again, Clem connected with the Pac-12. I, I like their chances of landing one of those two UCLA guys, and they're both. I, I think that uh, Gaines is projected a little higher than Mafia. I think he's like a fifth round guy, but. Mm-hmm. When you get that late in the draft, especially with these interior offensive linemen, you never know. It, it becomes like 150 pick range for them. So I could totally see them ending up with one of those two guys. And it would Blackman, I mean, that's he actually kind of reminds me of like a bigger school Keytro Clark. So I, I see the thread there. And th- those two guys, I, I was talking to a scout at the Shrine Bowl, said that at, at least with Keytro Clark, but I, I think Blackman fits this too. They're very similar to Jack Jones. Yes. So yes. it's a kind of player that we know the Patriots, the modern era of the Patriots, the Matt Grow draft board driven Patriots certainly like. Let's stick um, with the theme of your last pick is I don't know why people aren't talking about these players as future poten- potential Patriots moving forward yeah. on day two, because this is where I think there's a lot more attention as folks know, not only do the Patriots trade back, but in the second round, they've traded up the last four or five years to go get a player. So it doesn't necessarily have to be someone they would trade up for. But when you look at the day two, second round, third round prospects who are potential Patriots, people don't recognize yet as potential Patriots. 
So the big one for me, and I, I forget potential Patriot, like the entire draft process is too low on this guy. And that's Marvin Mims. In what I think is a down year for receivers, and I'm really not big on on any of these receivers. Uh, was it? Uh, I forget it was Brugler, Jeremiah, who had that tweet earlier this week or last week. There's only one receiver with the first round grade in this class. I buy that. I do buy that. But the Jim Nagy, I think, was it Jim Nagy? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I think Mims is is a guy. I think some team is going to get very lucky to find Marvin Mims. And I've heard this draft class compared to 2019, where it's not that top heavy. And the first receiver that year didn't go until, what was it, the 15th, 16th pick in Hollywood Brown. Nikhil Harry was the only other one in the first round. But then you just got stud after stud after stud on day two. I don't know that there's that level of depth, but some team is going to be banging their head against the wall that they took somebody over Marvin Mims. He plays bigger than he's listed. He plays faster than he's listed. And I know this doesn't mean a ton. There is no receiver in this draft that has a better contested catch reel, a better highlight catch reel than Marvin Mims. There is not a football thrown on his side of the field that he can't at least get a hand on. The body control is outstanding. I would urge everybody, again, it's just one play, but I think it really is indicative of the kind of player he is. Look up the touchdown catch he made against Texas in the Red River game in 2021 it's legitimately one of the best football catches I've ever seen in a game. Um, You look at him, small, shifty, people think slot receiver. No, he, he can stretch the field. He can be a contested catch guy. He can go up and get it. It's a dated comp, but he reminds me a little bit of David Patton where again, plays bigger and faster than he probably is. And you're not going to think of him as like a fade ball back shoulder red zone guy, but he he'll give you that. He'll give you that. So Look, ultimately, even though he plays bigger than he is, the size of concern, he's going to struggle against bigger corners, and that'll give teams pause. That's why I think he's not a first-round pick. But, you know, there's that top tier, right, of, of Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnson, JSN. The second tier to me is Josh Downs and Marvin Mims, and that's it. Those are the only two guys I'd consider in that next tier. And if there's going to be a fifth receiver that goes in the first round, I think it should be one of those two guys. So Mims was one of the first guys for me that, again, I watched one, two games, uh, one of which was the 2022 Red River rivalry and just, or maybe, maybe it was 21. Um, I was like, I've seen enough. I, I like this guy. I, you look at the, the measurables. He's five foot 11, 183. You're talking about him playing bigger than that runs in the four threes. His three cone was sub seven, which again, is, is an older Patriot scouting guy like Taekwon Thornton's three cone was atrocious. Nikhil Harris was fine. So it seems like the Patriots have gotten away from emphasizing that with the receiver prospects, but when you have that combination of long speed and quickness, you're already in a rare category. And you look at his production, that checks out, even in a very friendly Oklahoma scheme that sprung a lot of their receivers open. And so I checked on him with a couple of people, and the comp I got back was Philip Dorsett. So when you look at the long speed and the size, and it's partly like a lack of physicality, I think off the line, his 10-yard split was only 1.55 seconds, which for folks who don't know, the Patriots typically have been like 1.5 and under um, you know, even if they don't value the full 40, it's how quickly do you get off the line? And so I like him personally, but that really dampened my expectations to the Patriots who have been through the Philip Dorsett experience and left <laughs> wanting more. And I don't know, maybe if there's a better scheme for him where he could go than New England. Uh, I think it's a good name. I just, you know, when there were multiple people I checked in with about and got that feedback, doesn't mean they're right. Doesn't mean you're wrong. It, it, right it all but took him off my board, at least to the Patriots in the second to third round, because I think if they're going to draft anyone and I'll go, cause he's been mentioned AT Perry out of Wake yeah. Forest. I like a lot. 
there's a lot of boomer bust uh, attached to him. Bad performance at the Shrine Bowl, 6'3", uh, close to 200 pounds, runs a 4'4". I think he's just got the catch radius, the wiggle, the craftiness where he's got back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. And you could talk about the ACC level of competition, whatever. But I think at least if you're going to take a gamble, that would probably be back end of the third round if he's still available. That's a guy that I think they go – at least there's a higher end of outcomes for his career than maybe right. someone Mims who's like a solid low end two, maybe high end three. So it's an interesting comp for Mims versus Dorsett. I, I think Mims is better hands. That's where, where I would maybe differentiate, but the, mm-hmm. you're right about the, the 10 yard split in the initial burst. Yeah. I don't know if it's because I was at the shrine bowl. I've kind of been down on Perry because he didn't have a good week. He got, when he's running in against air, right? When he's running against walkers, he looks every bit the part of an NFL wide receiver, but you realize how slight he is when you see him against corners, especially physical corners he has trouble with. And I just, I look at a guy like that and maybe this is more evidence that they draft him. I see a lot of the same issues they had with Tyquan Thornton, where he just, I don't know that he has the play strength to be that guy at the NFL level. And I feel like if, if that's the guy you think is going to unlock your offense, you already have him in Tyquan Thorne. So see if he can, can break out rather than, you know, use another top 100 pick. If they're going to go bigger receiver, the guy I like for it, like in day two there, the guy I like for them is Charles Tillman. I, I think everybody's looking at Jalen Hyatt. Everybody's all excited about Jalen Hyatt because he's fast. And Tillman's not as, he's not a burner, but 6'3", 215, high point artist. He would be the guy if they take him that comes in and we say was Devonte Parker now, you know, a potential surprise camp cut because he's going to be that big body x you know and i look i don't think he's going to be better than parker right now but the play style like that's the kind of guy you're looking at my read on it would be he's going to learn under parker this year and then parker moves on his contracts up and and tillman comes in next year but he had a great 2021 he had an excellent 2021 but tennessee wasn't good and i think he just didn't get on a lot of people's radar because he wasn't coming in the draft and then he played through a sprained ankle most of this year, only played in six games. His production was down. So that could be something where, where you know, I could see the Patriots looking at it and saying, because another one of their philosophies historically, we don't know if it still is, but historically has been, you don't draft for this season. You draft for next season. You draft a year ahead. So they might look at it and say, Devontae Parker's contract's up. We're going to need next. Here's a guy that produced in the best conference in football at a major program and then got hurt. So he's probably further down the board than his talent maybe indicates value. That's what value is value pick. And they maybe try to grab him, you know, maybe trade back up into the second from the third or something like that. So I I said it five times off the top, but this is how convinced and thorough I am of, of, of your preparation. Um, you said Charles Tillman, and I was like, I'm almost certain. I said it's Charles it's, Tillman. It's, it's almost Cedric, Cedric Tillman. I'm positive it's Cedric. You know what? I've, done that, like Cedric. Three, I've <laughs> done that like three times this week. I don't know what that is. It's okay. It's okay. So Cedric I have a lot of respect Tillman for you. Tennessee. That respect was misplaced. You were wrong. Um, no. Yes. <laughs> but double-checking in his NFL.com page, and they, again, do great work. It's a lot of Lance Sirline, uh, very plugged yeah. in in Houston, done this for a while. You know, you mentioned Devontae Parker. His comp uh, is Michael Pittman, uh, yeah. USC receiver the Colts snap in the second round. And I think – you know, we talk about, okay, is this receiver going to elevate your whole offense? If you're, if you're waiting to draft a receiver, I don't think that's the expectation in the second or third round, you know, can you come in, contribute, find a role uh, here as a number three or four receiver immediately? If they want to make a splash, I think you have to do in the first, especially with a shallower um, class, but I like Cedric Tillman. I think you're right. 
as far as fit with the Patriots, it's much cleaner, the projection than Jalen Hyatt is, in my opinion. It's not even speaking just the route tree and the system they ran at Tennessee because they both play within the same offense. It's just their play style. And I think historically, 2022, you know, set aside for a second with Thornton, uh, fits that much better than a lot of other receivers. All right, give me a couple more names. They could be either people that um, you know, we we've discussed or have been floated around as potential Patriots or guys again that you that you like that others aren't quite as high on. Yeah, and I'll I'll try to get these ones right. Um, so one is is Byron Young from Tennessee. Yes. Now, if you're gonna draft Byron Young, you have to be very careful with the draft card because there's a Byron Young from Alabama who also plays in the front seven, who's expected to go in the same range in the draft. Byron Young from Alabama is a fine player. I could see him with the Patriots as well. But Byron Young from Tennessee is the guy I really like for them. Played two years at the JUCO level, was one of the top JUCO recruits coming out, goes to Tennessee, was a two-year starter there, became a team captain. This is a guy that loves football. He's one of these guys that after high school went, he worked, I believe, was in a grocery store, uh, had, you know, got himself in a position where he could get to that JUCO, uh, was very productive at Tennessee the last two years. three down player. I think he can play the run. I think he's a pass rusher. Like he can do it all. His best trait is probably as a pass rusher, but you know, you look at, at Josh Uche and Anthony Jennings, both with expiring contracts and they're both kind of specialized players, right? Anthony Jennings is a strong side edge setter. Josh Uche is a pin your ears back pass rusher. I think young can probably do both. I don't know that he can do either one. Like, I don't know that he's going to come in and be the pass rusher. Josh Uche is right now but I think he can get there. And I think he can play the run really well on the strong side. The reason I think he's further down teams boards, is he's 25 and that kind of hints at a limited ceiling. But as we talked about, they like older players. They like guys who are developed. And you talked about Isaiah Moore before being like all jacked and built. And this guy's 25. He looks like he's been in the gym for 35 years. He's massive. <laughs> so um, Byron Young from Tennessee is, is a guy I really like for them. We talked about them liking the 40 times DJ Turner from Michigan Maybe not as big as they want at corner 5'11", but he ran the fastest 40 uh, at the combine. And then one other guy that's another guy that people really aren't talking about for them is Henry To'o To'o from Alabama. So he's another transfer. He actually started at Tennessee, transferred to Alabama for the 2021 season. And in his first year on campus, and they had a ton of returners on that 2021 defense, Nick Saban gave To'o To'o the college equivalent of the green dot. He was the signal caller on the defense in his first year there as a transfer. And we know Bill will go to Saban and, you know, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of that guy? It's honestly shocking how little we've talked about him, given what you just said. It's just the Alabama pipeline connection, like the most obvious points and not a position to need, but even the guys that they brought back, Raekwon McMillan, um, you know, I'm Juwan Bentley's on an expiring contract, Mac Wilson, one year deal, like their depth chart in 2024 could just be one name. And it's Jelani Tavai who's splitting his time between the outside and edge. And I think bring Bentley back barring some sort of disaster, but Duoto Oto could step in immediately and you hit it on the head. He was a captain leader, super productive. I don't know if he got all America votes at Tennessee before he goes to Bama. And that was just because he's lost in the shuffle because all of them seemingly are all Americans on the side of the ball. Yeah. And, and look, and then he goes to Alabama and Saban makes him a captain yeah. almost sight unseen. So you talk about what kind of guy is going to get a rave review, right? Cause I, I think people mistake this. They think, Oh, Alabama bill's going to Bill's going to draft him. No, it's Alabama. So bill's going to have a better idea from talking to Saban. I don't know that Saban gives a rave review to every player because no. I think that's why Bill trusts him because he knows he'll be honest. Henry Toto to me is a guy that would get a rave review. Had he come out last year, this is one of my guys I've had on my list for a few years now. Had he come out last year, he probably would have been a first round pick. 
definitely top 50. And then he went back this year and he played hurt through a lot of the season. And then he didn't test super well at the combine. So he's now in that late day two, early day three range. If the Patriots look at his 2021 tape and Saban signs off that, yeah, it was injury issues this year. He's a guy, and then, and then you add the, the football IQ of it all, and if they really want to add one of these modern athletic linebackers, this is the guy to me. You draft him, here's your QB spy. This is the guy you're going to have following Josh Allen sideline to sideline. Um, if, if Saban signs off on him and they look at that 2021 tape, he's probably higher on their board than he is on most teams' boards. I agree. Uh, going back to Byron Young for a second, because I dropped yeah. a piece a couple days ago on potential head rushers, and I had eight, and he was – he was my last cut. And I think there's just so many strong edge guys that fit their physical prototypes. And again, they value the three cone, um, you know, again, 40, when you look at relative to the last 10 years in other teams, what they value, you know, the guy's going to be six, three, six, four, 264 pounds. Byron Young fits that he's strong enough. The edge setting is really appealing. Older prospect doesn't matter. He cares. He's mature. He's invested. I just couldn't get there with the, the pass rush, which I think if they're looking so much or visiting at least with all these top prospects at the high end, including Lucas Van Ness and Nolan Smith, uh, Tyree Wilson, who might not even be around. I think they're really building around that pass rush. And I'm not sure how Byron Young helps them immediately in the next year or two there, though it's possible. And so it wouldn't surprise me if he's there. I do like him a lot as a player because the production didn't match what you would think from his, you know, his testing, which was really good. Um, it just, he was, he was a tough cut in a the group there. I already mentioned him. Uh, I have a Foskey at a Notre Dame. You talk about again, fitting the prototype. He's six, five, he's two sixty four. team captain block four career punts at Notre Dame, which we know weighs a lot with the Patriots. He could be a guy that just goes a little bit earlier than they even have a chance at 46, maybe to nab him. Um, his three cone wasn't great. The short shuttle again for edge guys, these are drills historically they prioritize was on point for them. The production, the athleticism, I think is there and the experience. So he's someone that if they're really prioritizing it, because like linebacker, who Jay Jennings, you mentioned expired contracts, Matt Judon's, you know, contract, and he shouldn't be going anywhere until 2025 uh, has two years left on it. Where's your impact depth there? They use wise on the edge, but I think he's a guy that you have no problem thinking about how is he going to transition to the program, given the style of defense he played in the maturity, him being a captain, et cetera, et cetera. So he's on my board. Um, let's get the the names though. We'll go straight to the positions. You have the proverbial nerf gun to your head. What positions do they take on day two right now? They've got two picks. Let's, let's give them three. Cause they'll trade sometime Thursday or Friday. Right. Uh, so I think tackle uh, on day two. I think they'll go uh, edge on day two, and I think they'll go tackle edge. I think they go wide receiver on day two, tackle edge wide receiver. So you left out corner. Does that uh, lead us into round one here? Yes, yes, that does. Um, so my my first round, like you can ask me, it's not even day to day. Ask me today. Ask me tonight. I'll have two different feelings on what I think they're going to do in the first round. But I feel like I'm kind of settling into this idea that if they don't take Zay Flowers, which at this point, there's just so much smoke there. I'm not rolling it out. If they don't take Zay Flowers, I think they're going corner in first in the first round. I base that off two things. I don't know if two years is long enough to be a trend, but for the sake of argument, let's pretend it is. If you look at what they did in 2021, Forget positional value. Just every position's worked the same. The biggest hole in their depth chart, if they had to play a game that day, was quarterback. 
And what did they do? They took the best quarterback on the board, even if maybe, according to some people, they overdrafted him. They were sitting there at 15, best quarterback, they took him. Last year, forget value. You can say wide receiver was a bigger need. You can say tackle was a bigger need. Corner was a bigger need, whatever. They traded Shaq Mason. They lost Ted Karrison free agency. They're starting left guard. on And I know Bill would get mad at me for this. We don't play a game today, but for the sake of argument, their starting left guard going into the draft last year was Drew Desjardins. Remember when we were getting all excited about Canadian Football League All-Star Drew Desjardins? Uh, I will say I was excited about him being Canadian. I was not excited to see him on an American football field. I will tell you that much. I was I'm with I was just excited to be referencing the Canadian Football League as much as possible on the sports hub and going from there. But so what did they do? They took the best guard on the board, even if it was probably an overreach. So let's apply that logic forward. I don't think tackles as big of a need for them as we think it is. You mentioned it off the top. They gave Riley Reef kind of fringe starter money. They have Trent Brown back. I think they like Calvin Anderson. I think they like his potential. And Connor McDermott was servable last, serviceable last year. That doesn't mean they won't draft a tackle, but I don't think they see it as the biggest need uh, on their roster right now. A lot of people look at receiver. Is it the biggest need or, or is it like a luxury need, right? I think it's a luxury need because they have – capable NFL receivers across the depth chart. They just don't have that real number one, who, by the way, I don't think is in this draft. Some people might even say edge, but they do still have Josh Uche. They do still have Anthony Jennings. They do still have Matthew Judon. If Jalen Mills is going to move to safety, and Jonathan Jones might as well, just based on his contract, who are your starting cornerbacks right now? Who would the starting cornerbacks be if you have to play a game? It's Jack, It's 5'11 Jack Jones, 5'8 Marcus Jones. Their only corners over six feet are guys you don't play. It's Sean Wade and Quadre Mosley, right? So I think if, if if you just look, and I know this is a simplistic view, but it kind of feels like this is what they're doing. If you look at the depth chart, corner is their biggest need. And you know what? I think Matt Groh told us as much on Tuesday. Because when he got asked about the wide receiver class, one of the first things he said was, you know, it's not just the first round. There's a lot of good receivers here. And when he got asked about the tackles, he really hyped up the group they have. When he got asked about corners, he said he thinks multiple guys will go in the range Sauce Gardner did, which is top five. And I wrote this up, 985thesportsub.com. I have all the full quotes. But so if he thinks the, the non-first-round receivers are where the value is in this class, if he thinks the tackle group they have now is good, but he thinks that there could be multiple corners that go in the top 10, that tells me he loves this cornerback class and he's fine waiting on those other two positions. So – Again, there's too much smoke with Zay for me to say corner, but if not Zay, corner. That's where I'm at. So I'll hit on Zay quickly just because I think there's a lot of interest and rightfully so. He's a great player. There's the yeah. local connection, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I said last week his agent has done a marvelous job putting his tape out there, his name through a lot of national reporters and the clips and emphasizing him and he's shooting up draft boards. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. And when you hear people who are directly connected to scouting departments and used to be in there, Jim Nagy, Daniel Jeremiah, different folks like that, and a couple of people I've talked to, I hear good, not great. And that, to me, says not taking it 14, probably not taking it until the 20s. And even then, it might be driven by positional need. And again, I think he's a really good player. Uh, I'm just not as high on Zay Flowers as I think media consensus around the outside. And then part of it's leaning on people closer yeah. to the inside than I am. But it's also just my perception of this player relative to the other ones. I love the corners at the top of this draft. I don't think it's hard to fall in love with the corners at the top of this draft. I don't think Devin Witherspoon is going to follow them at 14. I don't think Christian Gonzalez will at 14. I just look at a player like Joey Porter Jr. 
who I like a lot too. And I have friends still at Penn State when I used to cover the team and discussing about him. And he checks out squeaky clean prospect pedigree, everything. If you're a 14, you're the Patriots. Is that as good of a value as you could have potentially going back to 46? And maybe you trade up to the late 30s and grab someone you like, Emmanuel Forbes or Deontay Banks. So I know it slid into the back end of the first round, but then you would just trade back from 14 to the early 20s and take a Deontay Banks, who's a man cover corner that you like. And is probably a similar player or wait till the middle rounds where I know they like players like Mikai Blackman. Or I'll throw this name at you because this was brand new to me. Isaiah Bolden, who took a visit yesterday from Jackson State, who was only a one-year starter down at Jackson State, but started at Florida State and was the best returner in college football in 2021, runs in the four threes, has the size, the speed, some off-field stuff, but is a player that they've taken in the past, see J.C. Jackson, Malcolm Butler to a lesser degree, priority free agents, because that's what Bolden is expected to be, and turned into legitimate man cover corners. I don't know. I just see their history and their success developing those players and say that's a position they think they can wait, especially with the deep corner class, because I look at offensive tackle and, you know, you might be totally right because I could see them saying, yeah, we gave Riley Reef one year guaranteed, whatever, you know, professional, we can rely on him. Calvin Anderson, if not, is a good backup option. Um, Trent Brown playing all 17 games, complete outlier, outlier for his career. You cannot bank on that moving forward. Trent Brown, a contract here. It's a good thing. Trent Brown needing to start every single game. I don't think it's worth it. I just think their history of drafting tackles that high. It could be Solder, Isaiah Wynn. You go all the way back to Matt Light, even Cole Strange as far as this offensive lineman. They cannot afford to play offense the way they did last year with the Rolfing Door right tackle. I like Dardell Wright a whole lot there for them, even at 14 as someone who's gone and shot off draft boards. But it's a really interesting conversation because corner and offensive tackle are positions in need. And yet I could still see them go here. And this is one of my day one draft crushes to get back to. Um, Michael Mayer at a Notre Dame can do it all. Like there, there, I just don't have any questions about him except for, is he going to average 700 yards per season over his career or nine or maybe a thousand? Yeah. So I, first of all, on the tackle thing, I think you're right. Like if it were me, I would go tackle. You mentioned Darnell, right? I also like the idea if they really want to trade back and accumulate picks, Dewan Jones is one of my first draft crush, crushes from this entire class. I mean, come on, six, eight. 380, 90-something inch wingspan, and he's got basketball feet. He was a D1 basketball recruit. So he reminds me of Trent Brown, like peak Trent Brown. So I love that pick. I, I do like Darnell Wright as well. I, I agree with you. I think people looking at him as a trade-down candidate won't sleep on him at 14, especially if there's a run at tackles and they're worried about Peter Skronsky's arm length. Mayer, I can't get excited about personally, mm. at least with the Patriots, because I think a big part of their so there's there's upgrades and there's additions right and an upgrade is a guy it's like a one-for-one swap and maybe the player is better as an addition is like add something new to your offense is mayor an upgrade or an addition because i think he's an upgrade and one of their biggest problems the last couple years has been their offense isn't wide enough right everything happens between the tackles and you see teams stack the box against them and dare them to throw, you know, outside out at the numbers and they don't do it. And I look at Mayer, he was used almost exclusively in line in college. So if you're drafting him, you're drafting him to either play in line, which doesn't widen your offense at all, or you're drafting him to do something he's never done before, which I hate it when they do. I hate it when teams do that draft, use the player you drafted, like the player you drafted. Don't try If you're trying to draft a different player, just draft a different kind of player. 
Um, whereas I, I look at the tight ends and I wouldn't take him at 14, but the only tight end I think for them in the top 100 is Darnell Washington because in the top 100. Well, I, I, you're in the top 100, yeah. Um, wow. I don't think he, like I don't think he falls to 100, but I think Kincaid's kind of the same thing. I, I don't like he I, not in the in the first part I mentioned with the inline, but Dalton Kincaid over the course of his career will he end up being a better player than Hunter Henry? It's very possible, but is the dip what? How much of a difference is there between 2023 Dalton Kincaid and 2023 Hunter Henry? I don't I don't know that it's that big. And if if that's your first round pick to like upgrade a tight end when you're not adding anything, because how much are you going to have him and Henry and Gasicki on the field? I get those guys are on expiring contracts. I get you maybe want a pure receiving tight end as a long-term option. And that that's that's the point is when you look right. historically, and again, in the last two years, as you as you perfectly put, they drafted for immediate need, plug this hole at quarterback, plug this hole at left guard. That's right. what they did with the first round picks. Before then, it was drafting a year ahead of time, knowing it's safety. Hey, Patrick Chung might retire. And then did Kyle Duggar steps in, did McCourty a couple years later. Now you still have a very strong safety room. You go back and back and back. They're drafting a year ahead of time, understanding their contract structures. I look at as far as the widening point, which is a good one, that my bet would be they think we made our move at receiver to widen the offense and go downfield last year. That was Tyquan Thornton. Right. That wasn't only just a second round pick. That was a guy we traded up to go get and has the rare speed. Give him a year to develop. The offense was a mess. We've all talked about it, documented it. He'll be able to take off with a competent offensive coordinator. If he doesn't, well, we just whiffed on a receiver and that's something we have a habit of doing. Gasicki, to my understanding, is not going to play with all at all in line, like very, very few snaps. So Mayer, who was used across a formation, be right, just a little over 50% in line, which is encouraging for them because if Hunter Henry leaves and Gasicki doesn't come back and cashes in on this kind of basically one-year prove-it deal, you know, you have a guy who's ready there made for 2024. And honestly, that 13 personnel idea, which you inadvertently threw out with the three of them on the field at the same time. Good luck defending that because at some point you're going to have a mismatch for them or they'll just continue to run the ball. So I think they look at it as we've made our moves with Juju, Taekwon taking a step forward. We're a little bit more explosive. We're downfield, we're vertical. Now I think it's just a position where, again, granted, this is a draft crush for me. Yeah. It's just so simple. Now you could argue, is he worth the 14th overall pick relative to the other players on the board? He wouldn't be my 14th overall player in this draft. But for them in the way they – again, historically have looked at the first round, a player you need to hit on, and he seems to be a sure bet as you can in this draft class, um, or at least, let's say, offensively. Yeah. You know, that's a guy that I would think about real hard if I'm them, and it's kind of my surprise sleeper pick for them at 14, or if, even if they trade back to maybe within the first top 20, 22 picks. Yeah, so I, I just, I, I don't know. For me, with how deep this class is, and look, how many times the last couple of years, this is a deep receiver class. That You know, they're going to get one, maybe two gems, and then trade next in the seventh round. This yeah. is an all-time linebacker class. They're finally going to fill that hole. They've been missing no linebackers, right? This tight end class is one of those classes. This is one we're going to talk about. I look at it, and I think, all right, you need, you want that pass-catching threat at the tight end position, but you do have a year to kind of let the guy develop. I look at Zach Koontz, who checks all the combine boxes, which they love. And I just, I just think, man, get that guy in here. Let him learn from Henry and Gesicki this year. And then you throw him out there next year. I think, I don't know about Mayer. Mayer's a different player because he can also block. Yeah. I don't think Kincaid's much of a blocker. But the end point, like the ceiling to me, for a guy like Dalton Kincaid and a guy like Zach Koontz is the same. But – 
Zach Kuntz, you can get 20 picks later or two rounds later because his floor is much, much lower. But they kind of have that luxury right now where they have time at the position, the two guys with the two guys they have. It's funny the way you're describing Michael Mayer, though, to me, that's Nolan Smith. Whereas this guy is just a great fit here. He's going to have a role here, maybe not as much this year, but he's going to have a role. I think his floor is super high. I think he's a guy that's going to come in day one, be an NFL player. Um, I, you know, I'm comparing to, all right, well, how much right away does Michael Mayer improve your offense versus Hunter Henry? I think Nolan Smith, you know, by the end of year one could be Josh Uche. Or See, Bennett. Smith, I, I and I know Uche fit this once upon a time, just but for a first-round pick where you need to check every single prototype box, feels really light to me. Again, historically, their edges have been 6'2", yeah. 6'3", 260, and he's checking in below 240. So this again goes to sort of what you talked about earlier with Matt Grow acknowledging because they're going to see him as a linebacker. They, you know, they do defensive end, outside linebacker. They're going to see him as a linebacker. I think it goes to Matt Grow kind of acknowledging, hey, linebackers aren't as big as they used to be, and we kind of need to adjust to that. So I, I it's one of those ones where I, w- I wonder as they sort of modernize their draft process, if he's a guy that, yeah, two, three years ago, we're, we're Nolan Smith is not on the Patriots board at all. But the way things have trended the last couple of years where they haven't looked as much at size. He's a guy that I look at and say, outside of that, that guy's a Patriot and maybe edge isn't their biggest need at 14 or if they trade down, maybe he doesn't have an immediate role in year one, but Uche and Jennings are pending free agents. I am shocked. They have not taken it. I was shocked they didn't take anybody from Georgia last year. I remember this is super random callback at Richard Seymour's Hall of Fame induction. This is how often I think about the draft. At Richard Seymour's Patriots Hall of Fame induction, Bill Belichick spoke and he mentioned something kind of in passing about how that Georgia defense Seymour was on was so good. They went in the draft thinking, we have to get somebody from that defense. Like we just need a guy. And Seymour ended up being the guy obviously in the first round. And he said that last year and Georgia was coming off their first national championship. And I was like, all right, well, this Georgia defense can play. I wonder if he'd think the same thing and they didn't take anybody. Well, here we go again. It's still sort of the same defense, right? He was on both teams. There's that little thing in the back of my head. That's like, it keeps telling me, yeah, the, they're going to look at him. They're, they're going to look at him. He's going to be on their radar. So. All right. A couple of things. And then we're going to narrow down our focus to basically, again, I'm okay. taking out my Nerf gun. I'm putting it to your temple very lovingly and All saying, right. you got to make a pick here. April 20th. Uh, who do you think they take in the first round? And then a couple of guys that, We'll do the opposite who are been discussed as potential potential Patriots that you just don't think are fits. Um, you mentioned Zach Koontz. I don't have a personal connection to Zach Koontz, but I did cover him in high school for a couple of times. Camp okay. Hill, uh, played basketball. He's six, eight, incredibly thin committed to Penn state then left with old dominion. Once our offensive coordinator, Ricky Ronnie went down to old dominion, incredibly productive. I just think he's too slight. And if they want a, a kind of different version of Kasiki and not someone who has just the, the horrendous run blocking team from college and even in Miami, he fits more of that mold to me. He's much different than obviously when I saw him in high school and then as a high school recruit and then going to college at Penn State very briefly. But as someone who's a late round flyer, would I mind it? No. We omitted two names from this tight end discussion, but you're totally right. It's an incredibly deep tight end class. Luke Musgrave, Oregon State, um, injured most of last year, has a physical traits, played at the Senior Bowl in 2021, incredibly productive, I think could be a day two target for them. Tucker Kraft is another one in the third round, South Dakota State, recruited. Let's say recruited 
uh, courted by Alabama as a potential transfer portal candidate, stayed there instead, doesn't have the physical profile, but as far as a well-rounded tight end, those are someone to keep in mind if one of my day one crushes, which include Darnell Wright and Michael Mayer, yeah. um, don't work out. The edge point about Nolan Smith is an interesting one because I think it speaks to a larger thing because they hosted Nolan Smith. They hosted Lucas Van Ness. As I mentioned, Tyree Wilson, Miles Murphy came in this week. All these edge guys, they're going to go in the first round, virtually all of them. And Nolan Smith seems to be sliding back. The visits are so interesting because you only get 30 of them, which would indicate, hey, if they bring a player in, they might really like him. And then you get news out like today that Will Levis, quarterback out of Kentucky, Came to Foxborough this week, too. What does that mean? Some of this is smokescreen. Some of this is not. Again, signal versus noise. To me, I think it's smart of them, whether they're actually targeting edge, which could be a possibility, or they're not, to bring all of these guys in, A, to get a good look at them, but B, because that is a premium position. And if you have people, teams, that want to trade up, they're going to do so for a player at a premium position. That would be quarterback. Hello, Will Levis. That would be edge. Hello, all of the guys that I just listed, or maybe some of the corners whom they haven't paid a ton of attention to, but obviously have a good feel for it. So again, I, I don't know what to make of that, but the fact that they have a lot of, you know, interest in these edge guys speaks to a plan already in place that we want to trade back, or we're going to take one of these guys. And even if they don't fit the prototype, it's an impact player. We're ready to roll out on day one, which uh, would be really interesting to me because that would also say the opportunity cost of that is not taking an offensive tackle, not taking a receiver, not taking a corner, which maybe they're okay with those positions. Or like we've been talking about, they see it as really deep at those positions on day two, which makes day two really, really, really important. Right. So, and I think the other elements of it, and they've talked a little bit about this in the past is this is the only chance you kind of get to speak to these guys in a, we'll call it non-competitive setting, you know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And that can come in handy in two ways. I think, especially with the quarterbacks, you're going to play these guys. You're going to face them. You look at a lot of the teams that we expect to take quarterbacks this year, there's significant overlap with teams that happen to be on the Patriots schedule. So, you know, once, once he gets drafted by the Colts, you're getting ready to play the Colts. So you can't go to him and say, Hey, so what don't you do? Well, what, what would you say your biggest flaws are? <laughs> so we can attack those, right? Yeah. You can do that right now. Um, I think the other thing, and, and this maybe applies more to the edge guys, just because the nature of the quarterback position, the way the contracts work, guys don't become free agents. We've heard examples in the past where they meet with a guy before the draft. They don't draft him. He becomes a free agent or he becomes available via trade and they acquire him and they'll say, well, we talked with him before the draft and we like what we, what we, what he had to say. We liked what we saw from him, but we just weren't in a position to draft him. So it almost goes back to that point I was saying at the beginning about I just like getting familiar with as many players as possible. I think there's an element of, of that for them too. Oh, and totally, that's the job. That's yeah. that's the front office, right? It, it, it's yeah. Some of it's real, and I think especially you look at um, some of the guys they've met with who have injury history. Those meetings I always put a lot of stock in because they want to see how healthy that guy really is. But I think some of it is just uh, a general general preparation and. You made one other point. I don't remember what it was. But. That's okay. I took too long. Let's again, focus in nerf, nerf gun to your head, April 20th, yeah. the Patriots are 14th overall. If they trade back, tell me who it's for, but who, who are they taking ultimately in the first round? Um, I, so I, I kind of already talked about Zay flowers, but I, I think they're going to really like Deontay banks. And I know that the big three at the corner positions become Gonzalez, Witherspoon and Porter. And I, 
I think Gonzalez should be a top. Like he should be the second defensive player off the board after Will Anderson. I love his game. I don't think they get a shot at him. Witherspoon, like you said, I'm like 50-50 on that one. Does he get to 14? I can actually see them liking Banks over Porter. And and it comes mm-hmm. down to if if you if you tell me if Joey Porter ranked ahead, or you tell me if Deontay Banks ranked ahead, I'm not going to disagree with you because I don't know that one's clearly better than the other. I think it comes down to what do you look for? Porter has all of the the physical traits. He's big, he's tall, he's long, he plays mean, right? He runs fast, he jumps high. That's not to say Banks doesn't. Banks had a great combine. He's a little smaller, he's six foot, but he he's so crisp. His technique is so good, right? The way he he mirrors routes, the way he competes for the ball to catch point doesn't have the penalty history that a guy like Joey Porter does. Hasn't been penalized as much. So if it comes down to those two or if Porter goes first, because I think the general consensus in the NFL I think more teams than not will have Porter ahead of Banks because of the size. But I, I, I think that they're going to look at Banks as that fourth corner and see him kind of left out of that top group and think we can get this guy later because everybody's focused on those three. That's where the value is. So I really like Deontay Banks for them in the first round, especially if they'd move down. I don't think they'll move down big. I look at Pittsburgh at 17. I look at Tampa at 19. I look at uh, uh, Seattle at 20. The Chargers at 21. That range right there, all of those teams are for one reason or another in a spot to trade up. They could move back just, you know, less than 10 spots, probably still get banks and add another top 100 pick. I like it. I like it a lot. I think that's something they they should do. I mean, any pick outside of offensive tackle or corner, partly because of need, partly because they're premium positions, I think would be a mistake. I'm still on the Darnell Wright train, which you don't like to have big mock drafts with the same picks. You like to spice it up again, going to right. original point. Let's have some fun. The draft is fun. This is enjoyable. Let's enjoy it. Uh, Bank, elite athlete. Runs in the four threes. I was trying to check on his three cone time here. He didn't run the three cone at the combine. Uh, I don't have his pro day numbers up, but I mean, as far as man cover corners, no questions about the athletic profile experience played a lot of different coverages. He's he fits. Um, okay. Last one. And then we'll get to the mailbag. A couple of guys that you hear thrown around or mocked projected the Patriots of 14. You just go, I, I can't see it. So everybody's all excited about Tyler Scott. And I see why, and I, I do like t- Tyler Scott as a player. This is one of those ones where people ask, what do you think? Well, where's he getting drafted? And I just think the Patriots drafted the burner last year, right? In Tyquan Thornton. And I'm not saying that they wouldn't double up, or maybe they've already written Tyquan. Are you off, seeing him in the first round? No, no, no. Oh, you just met in the first round? Just, just the first round. Yeah, yeah, I mean, oh, it's fair. Okay. Cincinnati receiver, 5'9". I had him out on potential Patriots, you know, kind of maybe second, third, you know, incredibly fast. Also packs remarkable quickness, good after the catch. Like people yeah. talk about Tank Dell. He's in the similar mold uh, yeah. as far as that kind of player. But Okay, let me let me reset here for a sec. Yeah. Uh, first round. Well, all right, let's start with the news of the day. Will Levis. I don't buy Will Levis as a Patriot. I struggle to buy Will Levis as an NFL quarterback. If we're being honest, Agreed. when I first saw Will Levis at Kentucky two years ago, my first, and I, I got all excited. I was a big Will Levis fan. I'm like, I can't wait for the Patriots to draft this guy in the fifth round and turn him into Taysom Hill, because that's who I really thought he was. Cause he's really good at running with the football. He's a big guy, runs hard, all of that, but less than a two to one touchdown to interception ratio turns the ball over a lot, really struggles with pressure his throwing motion is not consistent. Uh, he he doesn't have a ton of experience. He's a very run-heavy offense at Kentucky. He's got to go to a Shanahan offense to me to have a shot. He's got to go to one of those teams that turns into paint by numbers, allows him to use his legs, not just in the running game, but in the passing game. In Bill O'Brien's whole pre-snap offense, I think he would have a really, really hard time. Um, 
I, I don't want to say like I see Zach Wilson when I see him, but I think there's that element of look, he, he runs around and look how far he can throw the ball. I don't really care who caught it. It went 70 yards. It's yeah. great. Like the NFL is a copycat league. Everybody wants the next Josh Allen, but the reality is for every Josh Allen, you're going to get 20 or 30 Zach Wilson's. And I think that if Josh Allen doesn't break out, we're not talking about Will Levis as a first round pick teams see the the base of what's there and they're willing to think they can put in the work to turn him into that guy. And I, I just, I, it's not that e- if it was that easy, every team would have a star quarterback right now. Right. Yeah. Um, one other guy I see uh, mocked to the Patriots a little bit that I just, I'm having trouble buying for them. Again, I think he has a role as an NFL player. That's Lucas Van Ness never started a game at Iowa. And that's not to say he wasn't good or they didn't like him, but he's really just a passing down player. He's really just a pure pass rusher. And when they draft guys in the first round, they like to play him. And Lucas Van Ness is not ready to play the run in the NFL. He might get there someday, but right now he's just an edge rusher. And that's, I see him more like, I look at Buffalo. I look at Philly. I look at Casey later on these teams that have pretty complete rosters that can draft a situational guy in the first round. I just don't think the Patriots are there right now. If they're going to go edge, like I think Nolan Smith makes more sense just because I think he's better than Van Ness. I think Miles Murphy makes more sense because he can do more than Lucas Van Ness can. Uh, I don't know that he's like the pass rusher Van Ness is, but he's close enough where you add in what he does against the run. Yeah, I guess Tyree Wilson would be a fit. I just don't see them trading up that high to, to get him. Honestly, the other defensive lineman, I could see them taking over Van Ness. And I, this is not me saying I think they would take the guy, but just because of where he's projected to go and everything, but he looks like a Patriot to me is Brian Brzee from Clemson. Mm. Kind of that athletic interior pass rusher. I think he might be able to play some five tech in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. He he played some at Clemson and we talk about, you know, five-star prospects. He was the number one recruit in his class going to Clemson. So that like, if I'm in the Patriots draft room and knowing what they like, I'm kind of pushing for, you know, if we're setting up the board, I would, I would have Brzee over Van Ness for them. Now Van Ness falls to like, call it the early forties. That's such a them pick in the second round. And, and maybe they move up a little bit to get them, but I, I don't see it at 14. I think there's much better fits for what they would be drafting him to do. I'm just going to stick to a position here. And it's funny because it's currently the number one best bet on FanDuel for the position. The Patriots will draft at 14th yeah. overall or in the first round. Uh, and it's wide receiver. I, I had Quentin Johnston down here from TCU of course, Belichick was down to the pro to hit TCU. Matt Groh is also at TCU. There's a clip of them talking to Quentin Johnston, and I'm just going to eat these words in about a week. But when I look at his profile, he's, you know, very explosive. He checks the box when it comes to the 10-yard split. How quickly does he get off the line? Creates a little bit after the catch. History of drops. He's not someone that I think runs, I mean, at TCU, a, a very diverse route tree. Like, there's a lot more projection involved yeah. than someone that I think you might have to scheme open early in his career. They needed someone who just kind of uncovers and gets open. And he can do so and shield off defenders. He's a big player out of a big X. I just think they've got enough of those. You know, you need someone who can kind of uncover and you go, oh, maybe Zay Flowers fits that or JSN. But at their at their pick at 14th, if they have to hold on to it, they picked a receiver once in the first round under Belichick. I think that's for a reason. You know, you can scheme yeah. players open versus zone. You need them open versus man. Is there anyone who's just shredding man coverage time and time and time and time again? I don't think so. There's no special receiver. And if there was, he's not going to fall that far to 14. These are good players. I don't think great ones. So it's hard for me to see it. But of course, I'll be there asking Zay Flowers, hey, did you think you'd get to be taken by the Patriots 14th <laughs> overall? But we have a Zoom with him late Thursday night. So that's where so- I'm 
it's funny you say that about getting open because I think, and this is another one of these under the radar trends. You go back to the 2021 class, uh, uh, Christian Barmore, much better in 2019 than 2020. Ramondre Stevenson, much better in, in 2019 than 2020. Even last year, Jack Jones had his better tape early in his career, maybe not as close to when he came out in the draft. Um, guys like that. If they, how much of 2021 Jordan Addison did they watch? I, I would love to get an answer to that because you asked, like, I've had a number of people, you know, watch Jordan Addison say, What do people see? And then I say, Go watch him at Pitt. And they yeah. come back to me and say, Oh, all right, all right, now I understand. And the Patriots do have a little bit of a history of kind of going a little further back in the evaluation. Uh, I still don't think he's that guy. Again, like, I, I, I agree. Um, I agree with the point that was made this week. That I don't think there's one receiver with the first round grade. And I think people get lost in that because the last three drafts were all unbelievable at the wide receiver position. And I had, a, I, I had a thought last year that was like, is this just the new norm? Should we stop calling these classes great? Or is this what it is? And Matt Gross sort of suggested as much in his pre-draft press conference last year. He said with all the seven on seven camps and things like that, there's more receiver talent coming out than ever. And then boom, we come back to reality this year. And I think people just assume, you know, oh, if you're getting a wide receiver 14, even if he's a second or third receiver off the board, he's going to be nasty. Because that I think that was Chris Olave last year, right? The top JSN's a top receiver in this class. And I people hate it when I do this, but I don't care. I'm going to make the point. JSN last year is probably the fourth or fifth receiver off the board. He's a fringe first round pick. Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnson, those guys are going in the second round. So the idea that oh, if you draft a receiver at 14, he's going to be good because look at the last couple of years, all the receivers drafted high have been good. Well, you're just assuming that there's the same talent in the draft every year. And I think that's the biggest misconception. We've seen people with quarterback, right, talking about the Patriots and saying, well, look, the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. So just go get an athletic quarterback in the second round. It'll be fine. Well, that guy has to exist. And if you look at the projections right now, there's the four first round guys, Hendon Hooker, we don't know. And then there's no other quarterbacks projected in the top 100. So you can Jake, you can take Jaron Hall 46 if you want, but he's not Jalen Hurts because that guy's not here. So I, I think with the wide receiver position, you're seeing a lot of that where people are just kind of leaning on past drafts. Whereas, no, if you actually watch the tape, these guys, they don't get open like Jamison Williams did or like Chris Olave did. Right. It's it's a different group. Yeah, and I've talked about this in the past, the quarterbacks. It's a vacuum in the top 10. Like they get sucked up there anyway. Right. They deserve to be top 10 prospects or not, just because that's the weight that their position carries in terms of the value to the football team. And I look at the receivers and it's a great point by you about, okay, where were they going in normal year? All of these guys are getting pushed back. I mean, say flowers got an invite to the shrine bowl and went, you know, those guys for the most part are late day two, day three picks and no disrespect to the shrine bowl, which is getting, you know, higher profile players every year. And the Patriots probably going to take a few, which means they think highly of them. But a first-round pick who could go in the top 20, he's not going out to Vegas just to practice and hang out with a bunch of guys who he may have already roasted in college or could have. So now they did leave after that first day of practice. I just think that the conversation about him vaulting up is a lot more on the outside than the inside. And JSN, you talk about Jordan Addison, also much better 2021 than 2022 when he basically didn't right. play. Addison, I, I pretty much ruled out from the conversation. I haven't seen him a whole lot, so that's why he wasn't this answer to my question. Uh, but you can lump him in. I, I didn't say a yeah. player. I said a position. No, I'm with you on that. Athletic testing numbers really underwhelmed. Um, yeah. He was great at Pitt. He might have made Kenny Pickett a first-round quarterback all by himself. But – the Patriots love their freak athletes at wide receiver, and they're not all the same type of athletes at the position. 
but you need to win in one very particular area, power with Nikhil Harry, quickness with the likes of all the slot guys they've taken over the years, or speed with Tycon Thornton. He just doesn't fit there. All right, let's get on to the mail. Actually, one thing before the mailbag. Yeah. Any bold prediction, first round related? I'm going to say we get quarterbacks that pick one, two, and three. Talk about that vacuum, which is not terribly bold, but it happens fewer than you would think. So I'll build on that. I have a bold prediction, a really bold prediction. The bold prediction is Hendon Hooker's a first round pick. I, I, and it realistically, I think you see a team like Baltimore 22, Minnesota 23, maybe Vegas or Tennessee skips on a quarterback with their first pick and then trades back into the first, like the Ravens did when they drafted Lamar Jackson, the really bold pick. And this is probably my personal bias more than anything else. Hendon Hooker goes before Will Levis. Wow. I shame on me for having faith in NFL teams to figure it out at the quarterback position, because we have like hundred years of evidence that that's not the case, but I think Hendon Hooker is a better option. I really do. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't have quite the ceiling Will Levis does, but I, I, I just think Will Levis's floor is so, so low that to invest that high of a pick in him, it would scare the hell out of me. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hooker's got the injury, obviously that he's been right. dealing with the missed back end of his season and, you know, the scheme questions and he's older and reaction to pressure and all those different things, but hell, something crazy is going to happen and why not? So, yeah. Let me just clarify. So I'm putting a lot of stock into the report that Ian Rapport had at the combine that Hendon Hooker is expected to be ready for the season. That his recovery is going great and all that. So obviously if teams checked with him medically and he's going to not be able to play, I don't think he's a first round pick, but if what Rapport said is true and all 32 teams agree on it, I think he's going to go much higher than people expect. All right. Jason on Twitter wants to know, do you think they will cut slash trade Trent Brown if they draft an offensive tackle in round one? Uh, Brown still has a fairly sizable cap hit, but um, it's it's mostly non-guaranteed, so there'd be no real penalty for that. I'm a firm no. I think with a competent offensive line coach, let's say an experienced one, an experienced offensive line coach, a competent offensive coaching staff, uh, and Trent Brown in a contract year, they're banking on, you know, maybe not as healthy a Trent Brown, but certainly a more productive one. Now, would I rule it out entirely? No. But uh, I think I think the odds are overwhelming that he stays. I'm in the same boat. I, I think if they were going to move on from him, they would have done it before free agency because it is like, I think, a seven and a half million dollars they would have opened up. They could have used that money. Now, that doesn't mean they can't move on from him now, but they would they're not going to move on from him for financial reason at this point. It would have to be he just comes into camp. He's not ready. He doesn't look right then maybe, but it, like you've mentioned his contract year, I think he'll be ready. They still like him. Like he, he's a guy that fits in their program. I think he's here one way or the other. Quote, I'm hungry or no, hi, hungry. I'm dad on Twitter. <laughs> Wants to know, uh, what are some realistic expectations for the offense this year? Who will make the biggest impact? I change this to say who will make the biggest surprise impact. It's always a quarterback, yeah. no matter whom you're talking about. Realistic expectations uh, above average, say somewhere between, you know, top 10, top 16 finish, I think is fair. Um, you know, again, there's a lot of positive regression about to come in their way with a lot of different players. Start with Mac, Hunter Henry, Kendrick Bourne. I've talked about this, Bill O'Brien, the offensive line should be better. You know, your ceiling, I don't think really is in the top 10, unless you're talking about certain efficiency metrics but maybe certainly not an explosive type of offense um as far as biggest surprise impact answering my own question here that's a tough one um it's it might be a rookie honestly depending on whom they take and it could even go for an offensive lineman because if they take one in the first round and start him a right tackle hell that has a trickle down effect just about everybody 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I, I maybe this is a bit gaudy. In 2021, they were the sixth-ranked offense in the NFL in terms of scoring under Josh McDaniels. And they might have better personnel now than they did that year, right? So that's the ceiling. Realistic expectation, they should be top half of the league. They should be better than last year. We shouldn't be, you know – breaking out the confetti every time they break 21 points on offense like we were last year. I think they're going to be better than that. Uh, it, rookie aside, you know, I, I kind of want to say Mike Kosicki for the biggest impact, but I think if they put Kendrick Bourne back on the field, he's going to reward them. He, I, I just think, you know, I, I there were flashes in 2021. There was a 10-game stretch. He didn't play the first couple of weeks, and it was week three or four where they really started featuring him up until when he got COVID before that Buffalo game in late December. That 10-week stretch, his like 17-game pace was 70 catches and 1,100 yards. So that's a not insignificant sample size to prove he can put up borderline wide receiver one numbers. That was two years ago. He's in a different offense. A lot's happened since then. But I again, I just think if they put him on the field, he seems like a kind of guy that is going to come back with that chip on that shoulder. Let me show you what you missed last year. Now I'm in a contract year, right? I want to get paid. Uh I think if they give him the opportunity, and that's the big if here, right? If they give him the opportunity, I think he could put up big numbers this year. Well, he, he's got to earn it too, right? Like I, I remember right. the conversation, in my opinion, got so far in the direction of like Kendrick Bourne is just absolutely being victimized here, you know, by the coaching staff and this grudge, which was just a, it, not even a hard report from Tom Curran. He was just theorizing on EI about, you know, hey, why do you think this is the case? And Bourne did miss uh, a preseason game. You know, he did get into a fight at practice and he had the yeah. worst training camp of the receivers who were candidates to start. Like he had a very, very bad summer, all things told. Now he's also in a contract year. So I'm going to, I'm going to co-sign on this pick actually and say it's him because you could talk about Juju and Devontae Parker, who should be, you know, pretty firmly as your number one, number two receivers, unless Tyquan Thornton blows away expectations. So yeah, I think he's a player who has a, a surprise impact. All right. Last one. LOS on Twitter, uh, not line of scrimmage. This was lowercase. Uh, if you had to do a positional mock draft where you would mock the first four rounds, what would that look like? For example, first round offense, tackle, second round, cornerback, et cetera, et cetera. You've already kind of said your piece on this, right? Yeah. So I'll just first four corner, I'll, I'll just go corner, tackle, edge, tackle. Hmm. I'm going to go tackle, um, edge, corner, and tight end. Okay. I think I just ready for the receiver disappointment. Um, I think there are a lot of, like a lot of corners in the middle of this draft. We'll see, you know, I, you do have me rethinking the offensive line pick because I just, I can't imagine going in feeling great about Riley reef, who I think is, you know, from all uh, indications, a consummate pro he's 34. He's played both sides of the line, but Cincinnati and Chicago, who had some of the worst offensive lines in the league the last two years, respectively, yeah. just said thanks, but no thanks, and got rid of him. And he surprised last year, but he didn't even start for the Bears and come back. So to count at him, oh, maybe it's Calvin Anderson. I think if those are your top four, including Trent Brown, a first-round rookie, you're in a really strong position. And, yeah, you brought back Connor McDermott, who's happy to come back. He was in the Jets practice squad last year, okay? Like Bill might have said, right. oh, thank God we got him. It's overstating a little bit, um, but I, I, you know, if they do roll with those three, would I be shocked? No, I mean, we'll get a rookie at some point. I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's and, tough. 
now that I've talked you out of it, they'll go Broderick Jones at 14 and Darno Wright at 46 or Dewan Jones at 46, right? They'll yeah. go tackle, tackle. I, it was funny when, uh, on Patriots beat, when we did like the, the fan mock draft reviews, Phil Perry submitted one. He did something very interesting. He didn't have them going tackle until the third round. And then he went back to back tackle at 76 and tackle at 107. I think it was Carter Warren from Pitt and, uh, Saul DeVere, the kid from old dominion. Right. Mm. But it were, you know, cause again, I like to look at the trends. We thought one of their biggest needs, and frankly, it, it kind of was similar structurally to, to this year. We thought one of their biggest needs last year was corner. We were talking a lot about corner in the first round. They waited and back they back. Went, right. Marcus Jones to end day two and Jack Jones to start day three. So like, as I look at Phil, I hadn't thought of it. And then uh, credit to Phil. Cause he put that together, but I'm like, Oh, I could totally see that. They blow by corner. They blow by tackle in the top 50, maybe in the top 75. And then boom, tackle, tackle, you know, right around the 100th pick. They've done that before. And then the idea is, well, we have these veterans who we think are NFL players. And then we throw a couple darts at the board. And if one of these two guys works out, we double our chances by taking two. If one of these two guys works out, you know, maybe we need them by week five or six. They've developed behind the scenes at that point. And then we put them out there and we have a guy. Darts at the board or football at the magazine. Take your pick. Right, exactly. Yeah. One of those. Uh, I, I think that's too many bodies personally for me, but I admire the creativity. And I yeah. I feel generally good about my approach to the draft of the Patriots. I, I've nailed the position in the first round the last three, four years. Uh, not the player. Antoine Winfield Jr. was this close instead of Kyle Duggar, though. They, they, <laughs> but they both panned out. Uh, Justin Fields instead of Mac Jones is the one I kick myself absolutely the, the, the ass about still because I had Mac in my penultimate uh, mock draft. And last year, Zion Johnson just goes ahead of them with Cole Strange. And I think they would have pulled the trigger had the Chargers not taken them uh, a couple of picks ahead of where they were projected. Um, but that's how the draft goes. They don't even know what they're going to do. They're currently mapping out all of those scenarios. I think we have a mapped out. Plenty of scenarios here. He is Alex Barth, 98.5 The Sports Hub. The Patriots beat Mike Cadlick here on the CLNS Media Network, which is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Man, this is a blast. We still have some time to go somehow until the draft, but I think the good folks know if they have any questions or prospects, of course, read the bostonherald.com, but go check out Alex's work on 98.5 The Sports Hub. Anything else you want to plug coming up? Uh, Catch 22 podcast with Evan Lazar on Patriots.com as well. Uh, every Thursday, although... So it'll be Thursday this week. Next week will be Tuesday because Thursday is kind of a busy day, Big day. for all of us. So uh, we'll be elsewhere, but uh, plenty of draft talk on there as well. Awesome. I appreciate your time. I told you 30, 40 minutes, I think, in yeah. the email. We have now gone yeah. closer to an hour in 30, 40 minutes, but uh, that's all the information you got. I, I think the biggest thing people can learn during draft season, if you have me on your podcast, it's going to go longer than you tell me. Trust me, you're not the first person to fall for that one. <laughs> Take the over, <laughs> I think, is the lesson. Yeah, here. exactly. Thanks, man. 